This podcast discusses difficult topics that may not be appropriate for all listeners. We are not doctors or therapists. None of our content should be construed as medical advice, nor as a substitute for professional help. Names and other specific identifying details are often changed for the privacy and protection of our guests. Our guests' experiences are shared as they experienced them. Opinions may not reflect the opinions of Beck and Ella or this podcast. There will also be adult language used. Lots of it. Listener discretion strongly advised. Hello. Hi, Beck. How are you? I'm good, Ella. How are you? I'm good. Welcome back to our show. We have in the studio today, Brandy Davis to talk to us. We're very excited to hear her story. Brandy is a fellow podcaster. She has a podcast called Tabletop of Doom for all you nerds out there. That is her podcast. She is also an author. We're going to talk a little bit about her book and she is a residential counselor. So she's going to have some really good insight from her own story and also into mental health. So Brandy, we're so happy to have you today. Thank you so much for doing this. I am happy to be here. Awesome. Well, we will hand it over to you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, as you mentioned, I do a podcast called Tabletop of Doom. Um, it's actually part of therapy for me is pretending to be someone that I'm not. I, I get down with, with D&D pretty hard. And I wrote a book about my life because I've had this insane life. A couple of my therapists said, you should write a book. <laughs> so I wrote a book because it was it was cathartic, um, getting all of it out. And then it was also just, I think that there's a lot that you can learn from like how to know that someone's a narcissist, how to know that someone is gaslighting you. And if you read my book, then you're going to see like, maybe gaslit quite a lot. And then I think that's just a, an awesome way to, to learn what that looks like so that if it happens to you, you can tell someone to fuck off because you're not gaslighting me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or if you if you have ADHD like I do, you're like, I have ADHD. I don't care what the truth is because I don't remember anyway. <laughs> you don't get to gaslight me. <laughs> <laughs> that's horrible. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> or that. Or that. I wonder if that's why it's hard to gaslight my husband because he has ADHD. Yes. And he's like, I don't remember. So you're probably right. So sure. Um, <laughs> I was raised by a narcissist. So that kind of opened up my whole life to just attract narcissism. Um, I have a magnet on my head that says, please abuse me. And um, people were like, yes, I will totally do that. I will totally come into your life and just wreck it up. Thank you for the sign. That was very helpful. Yeah, thank you Like this for this wonderful sign. It's just like, please abuse me. Please use me and mistreat me. I will thank you for it and consider it love. Um, <laughs> I was raised by a narcissist. He's, he's the world's worst human. I don't even know how to describe him in like objective terms. He's never been diagnosed as a narcissist, but that's par for the course. A lot of narcissists aren't diagnosed because they don't think there's anything wrong with them. But it's a, several of my therapists have said that he is either a malignant narcissist who has some Machiavellianism in there, or I'm insane. One of the two. Or both, right? You, you have to be like truly insane to like make this shit up. Like, who does this to someone? One story, and I talk about this in my book, that kind of highlights the narcissism in the sense of like you're a possession to me i don't care about you as a person like you're a possession and so i care about you because you belong to me you're mine i want to say i was 11 years old he says that i was older than this 
I say I was like 11 or 12, I'm going to stick with 11 or 12. But when I was 11 or 12, me and my friend, we wanted to go to the movies. You know, so his girlfriend at the time, who didn't have children, uh, she wanted to have time alone with him. So he said, that's fine. You can take them to the movies and drop them off. So she took us to the movies. But when we got to the movie, it was, it was an R-rated movie. So we couldn't get in because we were too young and she wasn't going to stay with us to get us into the movie. So she took us to Kmart and just dropped us off. We stopped at Kmart, hung out with some friends at Kmart, and then time came for us to go home and no one ever came to pick us up. And so we called and we called and we called and we called her parents and we called my parents and like we couldn't get through to anybody. Come to find out, the girlfriend had told him that she had taken us to the movies and so they were waiting for us at the movies to pick us up. And she never told him that she took us to Kmart. Okay, so girlfriend's an idiot, right? Like, no harm, no foul there, but girlfriend's an idiot. My birth mother, who's also insane, comes, picks us up, takes us home. My friend immediately, like, her parents come and get her. Her parents are like, I don't know what the fuck's going on in this household, but, like, you lost my kid for several hours. It is now the wee hours of the morning. No, you can't still have my tween. My tween's coming home with me. But he goes to pick up my brother from somewhere, and when he leaves, the girlfriend packs up her stuff and moves out. So when he comes home, instead of like, I'm so thankful that, you know, you're fine, and what happened, it immediately goes into, you know, how could you embarrass me like that? I told him the story of like what actually happened, right? I thought you knew I was at Kmart. Right? Like, I didn't, I'm not trying to, I'm like 11 or 12 years old. I'm not trying to get away with shit. I'm like, I'm at Kmart, just hanging out with my friend. But no, it was like this really big deal. Like, how could you embarrass me? You made my girlfriend leave me. It's your fault. And then he proceeded to, there's this belt that he had that had metal studs on it. And so like, if you think of like a 3D imprint of a diamond, that's the shape that it was in. So it came to a point. And he used that belt with these metal studs on it to like beat me bloody Mm-mm. because I had the audacity to make his girlfriend leave him. And his girlfriend left him because she felt bad, right? She was like, here I was too scared of him or whatever to tell him the truth about what I did with his kid. And obviously he's going to break up with me, which he didn't do actually. He ended up taking her back. Um, this woman who had lost his child <laughs> until the wee hours of the morning, he took her, her back, but she, she had left him cause she had felt bad. And like, but no, that was my fault. And so he beat me bloody to the point that the, my school actually had to call the police and I was stripped down to my bra and panties, my little trainer bra and panties and photographed by a policewoman because there wasn't an inch of my skin that didn't have like cuts on it. And you can still see, like when I tan, you can still see the scars from the little metal studs, which brings out this cool little white pattern on my skin (laughs) when I tan. (laughs) Thanks dad. That's kind of just like, you know, a little, a little story that kind of highlights just the narcissism because he wasn't worried about me. That wasn't the problem. The problem was that it was embarrassing. I had embarrassed him Mm -hmm. by being lost. I'm so sorry. I mean, you know, life got him in the end. He ended up having strokes and he's now a decrepit old man. So life got him in the end. It's fair. (laughs) (laughs) 
Mm-hmm. So what was life like the rest of the time with him? If you could recap that until you were an adult. Pretty crazy, actually. So he would go through these phases because narcissists look normal for a long time. So he goes through these phases where like he'll have new friends in his life. And when he has like new friends in his life, he's a really nice guy because he has to show these new people this wonderful version of him to where all the rumors that they've heard, they won't believe. And they're like, oh no, Don's a great man. He's a great guy. But then after the people have known him for a while and they they start to see like he can't hold it back anymore. So he'll go back to being an asshole. And then, you know, we got the brunt of that. Watching him chase my brother with a baseball bat to kill my brother, which granted my brother's a piece of shit too. But at the time, my brother was a teenager. And so you shouldn't be chasing teenagers with a baseball bat. I mean, I don't care what the teenager did. It's just like your brother's a piece of shit because he was raised by that and went the opposite way that you have. But yeah, that's not his fault. His responsibility, but not his fault. His responsibility now that he's an adult, because he grew up to become a unrepentant rapist. Right. That's what happens when you're raised by the world's worst humans, is you either decide you're going to be the exact opposite of that, mm-hmm. which I did later in life. Like, I wasn't a great human being for a very long time, but later in life, I got some therapy. And then I was like, oh, wait a minute. Hurting people is wrong. <laughs> like, you shouldn't do that. Right. And then now I don't do that. But that's all that was modeled for me growing up. That's all that was modeled for my brother. So that's all he knows is to hurt people. He doesn't know how to not hurt people. Yeah, it's such an important part of your story because children repeat what they see. We are reactive abuse is a thing as well that we talk about a lot on our show. You're not your best self when you're in an abusive situation as no one would be. So often you start to model or react in ways that your abuser does because you're reacting to that abuse. But what's so great about your story is how different someone can be, even though they had this horribly traumatic childhood and these terrible role models, when you are an adult and can take charge of your mental health and your healing, that is not your fault, but becomes your responsibility to not repeat those patterns as an adult. So I'm anxious to hear more about that for sure. Yeah. I mean, my breaking point as an adult came when I was 21 and I had a psychotic break and I ended up hurting my birth father during this psychotic break and I hurt him pretty bad. And I feel bad about that, even though he's a piece of shit, I will forever feel bad about that. But as soon as that happened and then I came back into control of my brain once my brain came back to reality I immediately felt bad and I was like this isn't who I want to be like I don't want to be the person who has psychotic breaks and you know ends up hurting someone and has no memory of it like I want to be the kind of person who who doesn't hurt people I've always thought of myself as this non-violent kind of person because of what I've been through and now for me to commit this act of violence like that's just so beyond the pale for me I was like, nope, nope. And then immediately like therapy. What can I do to get into therapy? What can I do to get into therapy now? I did end up doing some time because of uh, the assault that I committed on him. But I manipulated the prison system to get into therapy because they don't just give you therapy in in prison. Which is horrible. They just want to like, it's all about punishment. It's not about rehabilitation. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no. I'd vary to guess 
there is no one in prison that is does not have trauma. Right. That actually did it anyway. I'm sure there's lots of innocent people in prison that may also have trauma as well. Yeah. But this is all trauma risk. Like these things happen because of trauma and responding to trauma. So why we wouldn't have that available to everyone in prison to actually change the course of someone's life blows my mind. But I'm glad you were able to. So you were able to take advantage of some programs and. Yes. Do what while you were there? So I lied and said that I was on drugs, which I never used heavy drugs in my entire life. Like I smoked pot when I was younger, but like that's literally, that's the extent of it, right? Like I- and that's not a drug? I don't do crack, right? I'm like, I'm not a crackhead. <laughs> right. I don't, I don't do crack. But I lied and said that I was on drugs because that was the only way to get into any kind of therapy program. And I just kept my head down and did all of these very intensive, like there's these two programs that you can get into if you're in Tennessee in prison, or at least there used to be, I don't know if there are anymore, but they're very intensive programs where like you live in therapy 24 seven for about a year in both of these programs and you eat, sleep therapy. It's all you do. And I lied and said that I was on drugs to get into both of those programs so that I could get some therapy. And both of those programs are based very heavily on like cognitive behavioral therapy, which was really useful for my complex post-traumatic stress disorder to learn how to think through things instead of just reacting emotionally to things. Because that's, you know, mom emotions are so heightened all the time. Right. I have a hair trigger, but learning how to manage that and learning how to manage like my triggers, the things that trigger me so that I'm not having these blackout periods where I don't know what I'm doing because my brain is just not checking in anymore. Right. Like I used to dissociate all the time where my brain would just stop recording and I would do stuff and I'd have no memory of it. I drove to Mississippi once. I don't know how I got to Mississippi. I just, one minute I was at home with my friend that I was living with. And then the next minute I'm in Mississippi and I still, like I have no memory of how I got to Mississippi. I was just suddenly in Mississippi. Just total dissociation. Just total dissociation. And then once when I was, after I got married to my husband now, who is not a narcissist, um, <laughs> It was wonderful. Yay, me. <laughs> I was supposed to be at work and then I ended up at Kroger. And I still don't know how I ended up at Kroger, but I was just at Kroger. And then I went back to work to find out like what happened. And they wouldn't tell me what happened. All they told me is that I don't have a job anymore. And then I was like, so I still don't know what I did to to lose my job. I don't know if I quit my job. I don't know if I was fired from my job, but... My brain was just like, we're not going to record right now and we're going to do some crazy shit and then we're going to come back a few hours later and you're going to be in a Kroger parking lot crying. Wow. So thankfully that doesn't happen anymore. Yay therapy. That hasn't happened. Like it's happened in like small bits where I lose like five minutes, but it hasn't happened nearly to that degree in nine years. So that's good. <laughs> So these things can get better and they can improve, which I think is important because so often we're talking about abusers who do not seek any help for their various, what would be diagnoses if they were to go get diagnosed or have been and are not managing it and are just out here in gen pop causing more trauma to people. 
So I think that's really great to hear, like someone that comes from that same kind of traumatic background that makes someone like your brother currently be incarcerated for rape versus you coming from that same environment who is now a counselor and helping other people. Yeah. So like there really are choices in there. And a lot of it, there's resources too. I mean, some people don't have access. Many people don't have access to those resources readily. And often if you are depressed, it's very difficult to seek those resources out because you're already depressed. <laughs> so it's like you don't have the motivation to do it, but it is oh so rewarding to find a way to get those resources. And I'm glad that I, I hate that you had to go to prison for reactive abuse, but I'm glad that it was able to actually get you the resources that you needed. Oh yeah. And that really changed the trajectory of your life. I mean, because that's what you now what you do for a living, essentially. Yeah, definitely. I think going to prison was probably it definitely fucked my life up because it's, you know, like I have to explain it. Like when I got my job that I have now, like I had to explain why I was in prison and what had happened. <laughs> like, well, what had happened was. <laughs> what had happened was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like it saved my my life because since prison i have been in other abusive relationships because prison didn't fix me they gave me like the bare minimum tools to start the process but they by no means fixed me had it not been for some of the therapy that i got in prison when i got out of prison because i stay i've stayed in therapy so long as i've had insurance or i could get access to a grant that would give me like free therapy when i didn't have insurance like i have fought tooth and nail to stay in therapy like without therapy i probably would have never left my ex-wife kelly who was abusive she tried to throw me off a third story balcony oh my god or <laughs> i would have never left uh Joey, who punched me in the nose after I moved to Florida to be with him. And it was like, I went, it used to be like, you can beat me and beat me and beat me and I will stay because I am loyal and I just want to be loved. And I'm basically just like a little puppy. Just love me, abuse me. I don't care. Just love me and I'll be fine. And then with Kelly, like it took a year, but it was only a year, right? Like I had been in abusive relationships that were longer. <laughs> it only took a year for me to finally leave her. And then when it came to Joey, like it took literally one hit, like he hit me once. And then I was like, you know what? No, after all this therapy, I have learned that people can't just hit you. <laughs> right. It was mind boggling to me that people can't just hit you like that. That's not love because I had never known love to be anything but violence. Right. It's astonishing. People can't. Did y'all know that people can't just hit you unless you're a child and you're their parent? Unfortunately, that is still true. That's the reason that I'm so anti-spanking. And it's not that I think, I know that parents will, you know, swat their kid's butt or something. It's not physically abusing them technically, but it's like you're, you're making a correlation here in a very young, undeveloped brain that someone that loves you is allowed to physically hurt you. I don't understand why anybody would want their child to make that connection. If they're if they're too young to have a conversation about the behavior and talk and think through changing that behavior, then they're too young to understand why you're hitting them. Right. So if they're old enough to have a conversation and be taught how to critically think about their behavior and how to make better choices, then do that. <laughs> like it doesn't make sense to me why you would ever want to make that connection to a child. I don't understand. And like the argument I've heard is in 
a dangerous situation when you're trying to get their attention right away. If they run in front of a car in a parking lot or something and you grab them and like swat them, I still don't understand. <laughs> I don't get like I, I could be on the soapbox forever. I'm not going to go off for, on a huge tangent, but we start these models when kids are so young, you know, that like it's okay for someone who loves you to lay their hands on you in a violent manner. Mm-hmm. I don't get it. There are so many studies that show that spanking doesn't work. It do, not only does it not work, not only are there better, but much better ways to, to parent and, and to discipline your child, but that kids can't, it damages them just as much as if they were abused. They've done studies on this. Violence is violence. Mm-hmm. Violence, hurt, violence hurts people. Right. 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 And it doesn't just hurt your body like obviously hurts your body but it also hurts your brain Mm -hmm. like it hurts your development and when your brain is still growing which happens like up until you're 25 you're damaging the brain you're irreparably damaging that brain right and like i don't understand that right like i am a brain damaged individual i love telling people that like i'm brain damaged (laughs) My, my brain marinated in violence for so long, I am brain damaged. Right. So when I do weird stuff, it's like, oh, I'm brain damaged. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone stares at you with this horrific look on your face, and you're like, I just thought I was doing my stand-up routine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. I love when normies meet me for the first time, and like I have a, a drink or two, because I'll start like something will remind me of something, and I'll be like, oh yeah, like that's like the time that you know yada 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 happened, and they're like looking at me with this just shocked look on their face like (laughs) of horror that's a horrible thing that you had happened to you and then i'm like oh oh that's (laughs) horrific i just thought it was funny (laughs) right (laughs) we use humor as as a therapeutic tool as well (laughs) humor is my coping mechanism (laughs) (laughs) what do you think the difference the difference is because now you're in a very healthy relationship and have been for You've been married to St. Harry for how long? We have been married for... Don't tell him I called him St. Harry. <laughs> Never. Um, <laughs> we've been married for nine years and we've been together for 10. So it's like, it's been a decade. And honestly, I think, because originally when I met Harry, I ran away from him as fast as I could. I ran back to the guy who punched me in the nose, actually. This was before he punched me in the nose. Like he punched me in the nose after I ran back to him, but... I ran to the to the asshole who punched me in the nose because I was like, this looks like a normal relationship with Harry. Like, this looks normal and healthy, and he's never hit me. He's never called me a bitch. He's never raped me. He always wants to know if I'm into the sex that we're having. I don't like this. This is weird, and it feels funny. Right. But no, he just basically just wouldn't... He wouldn't go away, but he wouldn't, like, not in a horrible stalker way... But in a, you know what, I think you need a friend more than you need a boyfriend. So I'm just going to be your friend if that's cool. And then I was like, well, I can't just turn away his friendship. And so we were friends. And then one day it was, we were walking the dog um, because we had moved in together and we were going to be roommates. We were walking the dog and I was like, you know what? I'm never going to find anyone better than you. It's not going to happen. I attract people who beat me and you don't beat me and you don't rape me, and I don't understand this, and I'm never going to find someone who doesn't do those things, so I'm just going to take you. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean that in the most romantic way. (laughs) He was like, I'm flattered? He was like, it was was so cute. He said, does that mean I can call you my girlfriend? (laughs) And I was like, sure, dork, sure. 
<laughs> but no, at first it wasn't that healthy on my part because I kept waiting for him to beat me or rape me or something. And then he just never did. Then he encouraged me to get into the therapy. And then once I started going back to therapy, because I hadn't been in therapy for a while, because I hadn't been able to find a grant that would pay for it. And I didn't have insurance. And so I finally got back into therapy and I just like he was just there while I got healthy. And he was like, I will be here in whatever way you need me to be here while you get healthy. And so he just stuck around. And then when, by the time I was healthy, he was still there and we were married. So <laughs> I was like, well, I guess I'll keep you. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys have an amazing relationship. I've witnessed it for years and years. He is wonderful and understanding and patient with your healing journey, I feel like. And you have been with his as well, because he has had his own traumas that are his story to tell. But he is also someone who came from a lot of trauma and chose not to turn into someone who causes more trauma to other people, which I think is pretty great. He waited while I got healthy. And then we realized that he had some stuff that he needed to kind of clear out the cobwebs of. And so I waited while he got healthier. And now here we are in our zoo house of animals. <laughs> You're the proud parents of 87 animals. <laughs> I wish 87 animals. He won't let me have any more. <laughs> I'm like, just one more dog. And he's like, no, just one more snake. No, just one more beardy. No. <laughs> so in his own way, he is, you know, an asshole. He won't let me have more animals. So in his own way, he is an asshole. <laughs> but I think there's compromise there because I think he wanted like one dog and no cats. And you now have, how many dogs do you have? We have five dogs, two cats and a snake. Yeah. So see, there was a compromise. It was a nice, nice, healthy medium <laughs> between 87 and one that you guys found. Yeah. And he says that if we ever become rich or we ever win the lottery, that I can open an animal rescue and just take all the dogs and all the cats. And so I'm right. like, deal. <laughs> we'll just have these eight animals until we win the lottery. And then I'll have all the animals and it'll be fine. Going back to you are no contact with your father, correct? Yes. After the court case where I tried to get custody of my nephew, I have cut him off again because he is nothing but drama. But for years, you were no contact until he got ill. Talk to us about that time period because I know Harry played a good role in helping with that situation as well. So after I attacked him, we made amends for a while and we were doing pretty good. And he seemed like he was taking responsibility for his past behaviors. And so I was like, cool, we'll be in contact. And this was a long time ago, right? Yes. This was when, this was before Harry and I even got married. Pre a ton of therapy too, like early on in your journey. Pre a th ton of therapy. Yeah. Yes. And then he started having, like, at, right after we got married, he started having a lot of strokes. Like, every time I turned around, either he was calling me or the hospital was calling me or my other nephews were calling me, like, hey, granddaddy's in the hospital again. So I took over the care of my youngest nephew, which I had taken care of him before when he was an infant and when he was a toddler because his dad has always been in prison. He's never been in prison for rape, but we're hoping that one day he gets caught for that. But he's always been in prison for other stuff. And so I was always taking care of Jay anyway. So I took over the care of Jay and I took over the care of Don because he got to the point where he couldn't take care of himself. But the strokes, 
affected his brain and he couldn't filter anymore. So like apparently he had just been masking around me to keep me in his life. But once he started having the strokes, like he couldn't filter anymore and he went right back to who he always had been. And then that's when I realized like, oh, this is just, you were just being nice to me to get me to take care of Jalen because you didn't want to take care of an infant and a toddler. So you were using me to get me to take, because you got custody of him, because he's a possession to you. So you want to be like the good guy who steps up to take care of his grandson. You don't actually want to take care of him and change his dirty diapers. So you were using me. Got it. Right. And then you started having strokes and you really needed someone to take care of you and move in with you. So you were, you got it. So you guys decided, you decided you wanted to move back in to take care of him. Uh And I think this is a really good story about how a partner can be supportive of you. Yeah. Because Harry was quite sure that was not a good idea. Correct? Uh, Yes. So Don didn't ask if we would move in with him. What he did is he just told his doctors that we were moving in with him. Gotcha. And guilted us. Because then if we were to say, no, we have to tell the doctors, like, no, we're not. And then we would look bad. Right. So that's how that came to be. Um, But we moved out there. And then one day, so Don was not supposed to drive because he doesn't have, like, his brain doesn't recognize that there's a left half of the world. Like, he can physically see it. That's a problem for driving. Yes. Like, he can physically see that there's a left side of the world, but his brain doesn't process that information correctly, so he'll act like there is no left side of the world. So he lost his license, and he wasn't supposed to drive, but he refused to not drive. And so he was driving a tractor on the property, because he owns, like, six acres, and he almost ran over my nephew, who at the time was only three. And so I took the keys away. Because he already didn't have keys to his truck or his car anymore. I'd already taken those away. So I took away like all of the things where he couldn't start the tractors. And he got really upset and told Harry, I'm going to beat Brandy to death and I'm going to make you watch. We were standing outside. It was the middle of the night. And um, Jay woke up by the screaming and yelling um, because we were fighting over the keys. And then he was like, I'm going to beat you to death and I'm going to make you watch. And so at that point, Harry like gently pushes me backwards and steps between us. And he was like, no, you're not. (laughs) He's like, don't, don't make me kill you, old man. Right. But you're not laying a hand on her. The fight finally finishes. We get Jen over to the neighbor's house so that he doesn't have to witness anything that's going on. Because I'm like, this is adult stuff. He's three. He doesn't need to see this. So we get Jalen squared away at the neighbor's house and then we come back and Harry says, I can't, I can't leave you here. Like I have to go to work because at the time I wasn't working, I was going to school. Um, He was like, I can't go to work because if Don kills you, I'm going to feel really bad. (laughs) (laughs) And so I can't leave you here with him. Um, But I have to work. What am I supposed to do? He's like, we can't stay here. We have to leave. And so at that point, it became a decision. Do I stay and help this old man who just threatened to kill me? Or do I leave and save my marriage? Because Terry said, like, I'm not doing this. And if you feel that you need to do this, then I'm not telling you you can't because that's your decision. But I am telling you that I'm not going to be a part of it. For the first time in my life, I had someone really put a boundary there and say, look, your family is toxic. If you continue to be around them, you're bringing toxicity into my life. And I don't deserve that. I love that. So I chose my marriage. 
And I love that he like, cause he, he knew it was a bad idea from the beginning, but he also knew it was important to you and you had to see it for yourself. So he was willing to pack up yeah. your life and get rid of your place and move into this situation that could not end well, but then was able to set a boundary when it did get toxic to help pull you out of it when you needed that as well. So like, I'd like to highlight that story because that's a healthy way of setting boundaries versus someone just telling you what you have to do you know, for your life instead of in a controlling way of just giving an ultimatum, like really explaining this is your decision, but like I can't be around this toxic situation. But he still supported you and like, cause he knew you had to find out for yourself, like you were not gonna be able to live with yourself, not at least trying to help it. Yeah, and Harry did the same thing when it came to Jake and we tried to get custody of him last year. We did not succeed, we ran out of money and Don was kind of using it as a way to have contact with me which I can't do. <laughs> it's not good for you. Yeah, but Harry did the same thing when it came to that. It was like, I know you need to try to get custody of Jalen, so I'm going to sit back and I'm going to let you do this. I'm going to let you drive this as, as long as you want to go. But if it gets toxic, if it starts affecting your mental health, if it starts affecting my mental health, if it starts affecting like our lives, then at that point, we got to call it because... Like, I will always support you calling DCS if you need to, if Jalen's in, in trouble. And I'll always support you, like, helping Jalen in whatever way you want. But I can't support you with having this man back in your life again or doing things that are going to hurt your mental health. Right. Because if I'm not okay, I can't take care of anyone else. Right. So, like, I'm no good to Jalen if I'm crazy. 100%. That's why they say, well, they, they always say you can't pour from an empty cup, but, like, People do it all the time. You can actually pour from an empty cup. Anyone that's ever taken care of anyone can tell you that. But you're not giving your best self and eventually that runs out. And then you are no help to anyone. So like it, it is an important piece of like taking care of you first. So what have you done? Like therapy, you went to school. How did that prompt you to what you've done career-wise since then? Talk to us about that. So originally, I wanted to focus my career on drug addiction before I knew my brother was a rapist, because that's actually information I just found out a couple years ago. But back when I thought he was just addicted to drugs <laughs> and that that was the main problem, he was addicted to drugs and he was a little violent. And if we could just get him some therapy, he'd be okay. I wanted to do that because I wanted to help people who were in situations like my brother. But now I help people with severe mental illness become independent. And the reason I do that and the reason why I love what I do so much is if I had had that, so because the system failed me, right? Like obviously I was raised by narcissists and abusers and whatnot, but the system failed me too. They could have stepped in and, and taken over at any time and they didn't. And people did report. I mean, there were multiple reports, right? Yeah. I reported, the school reported, my friends' families reported, and I was never taken from Don. And I mean, you can just chalk it up to it being the 80s. Well, that that and narcissists can talk their way out of anything. We've seen it time and again when cops show up and... Oh, yeah, no. Nothing's his fault. Well, and they're charming. Like, cops show up to domestic violence situations all the time and end up leaving thinking the woman is crazy and making this all up because charismatic guy just walked out all calm and collected and cool 
and the woman is losing her mind because she's in the middle of a trauma and the guy's just like, yeah, she's crazy. It happens all the time. And they take that and move on. That happens with child abuse situations as well. Yeah, he put his hand through a plate glass window, but it's not his fault that he did that. Like, I made him angry. Right. So the fact that I got hit by some of the glass is my fault. I shouldn't have made him angry. And he was able to convince cops of that and social workers of that. Really, it's not his fault. Nothing is his fault. Right. And it wasn't just the abuse with his neglectful as well. Yes. I mean, like, didn't he not often provide basic? Yes. So we had horses and we had very expensive Tennessee walking horses and they were very well taken care of. But we were not. Also, I think I was about 11 or 12. I accidentally burned the kitchen down because the only thing we had to cook in the house was french fries on an old stoves and i thought i had turned the oil off from the french fries but i was only like 11 i had only turned like i accidentally turned it on high half the house burned down or like the kitchen burned down but that's because there was only french fries in the house to cook that's the only thing i had to eat was french fries and i had been eating french fries for days <laughs> i remember one time um you were at my house and i was making dinner for my daughter and i said to her you have to have a vegetable with your dinner which vegetable do you want and you were like, no one has ever said anything like that to me in my whole life. <laughs> you were like shocked. And, and she just rattled off. She's like, okay, well, I'll have squishy broccoli is what she calls it when you steam broccoli. And you were like, no one has ever said that to me. I've never seen that happen. What just happened right there. She's like, oh my God. So like, it's not even just abuse, you know? I, I hadn't eaten broccoli. I ate broccoli for the first time as an adult. And you think about like those patterns too, like those things aren't even taught. So, like, he would buy food is the thing. And so he could sit there and he could say, well, I do buy food for the kids. But we would be left there alone to fend for ourselves, you know, when we were really young. And I don't know many eight-year-olds who know how to cook a steak. And with no supervision. Right. Just, like, there's no one supervising me using hot oil. There's no one supervising me using the oven. It's just... I'm expected to cook dinner for myself. I had the same kind of childhood. I started cooking at seven. Cooking for yourself at seven? By yourself? Yeah. And you weren't supervised? No. That is just wild to me. Like, I just can't even imagine. That's wild to me, and I went through it. <laughs> like, that kind of thing seems, and I, I was not abused as a child in any way, but, like, to me, it would seem the lack of care, like, the lack of nurturing and that type of thing feels like it would be more damaging to me than even like the abuse because like my mom was and parents were always my safe space you know like if I, I'm I was always getting cared for in those ways and that would have been more scary to me I think than violence if that makes sense but we allow that like nobody ever gets their kids taken away because there was food in the house that the kid didn't know how to cook right there's food there, so they're not being neglectful. Yeah, and I I can, I can kind of agree with that. The worst part wasn't the physical abuse because, I mean, I have scars, but for the most part, like, all that shit healed. The worst part is actually not having parents because I, you know, like, all of my friends, I'm not that old. Most of my friends have parents that are still living, and it's like they talk about their parents and then they have these relationships with their parents that are really good and healthy and amazing. And like, they have, 
And I don't have that. My birth mother thinks that she'd never had children. She's a whole different story for another day. But, and then my birth father is just like the worst person imaginable. That just breaks my heart. Like I don't, like I've never had parents. Right, that actually cared. I basically raised myself because there was no one to teach me. Like there are things that I didn't know about the female body until I was an adult. I didn't know that females have three holes down there until I was an adult. You'd be amazed at the amount of adults that still don't know that. I told one of my gay guy friends that when he was in his 30s and it blew his mind. <laughs> no, we don't pee out of our vagina. No. <laughs> I thought we peed out of our vagina. And I remember, I remember the day that I found out that we don't pee out of our vagina. And my boyfriend at the time, his mother was a nurse. I mentioned something about peeing. I think I had a UTI at some point and like I mentioned something about peeing and she was like, you know, we don't pee out of our vaginas, right? You're 19 years old. <laughs> and I was like, where, where do we pee from? We don't have a penis. And she was like, you pee out of your urethra. You have a urethra. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, where's that at? <laughs> she was like, it's, what, are you kidding me? I didn't know. There's a lot of things that I didn't know until I was an adult because no one taught me. Right. Like my sex ed talk was, you're probably going to be a little whore. I don't want to be a grandfather. So you're going on the pill. And I was forced on a birth control. And you hadn't even had sex or anything. No, I was 14 years old. Wow. I had my first like real boyfriend. And I know you're going to be a little whore. Uh, I don't want to be a grandfather. You're going on the pill. And I was like, I don't want to go on the pill. Like I'm not having sex. I don't care. You're going to have sex. You're going on the pill. Wow. So I was forced to go on the pill at 14. And his friend took me, his friend, who I didn't know very well, um, took me to the gynecologist and sat in the room with me while I got my very first pap smear. I had to do it in front of this adult that I didn't know very well. I had to have this doctor like touching me and stuff. And it was, I'd already been molested and, and whatnot by my uncle. So that was traumatic. Which your father knew about. Yes. Yes. My father knew about, yes. He knew that my, his, his brother had molested me and he didn't even kick him off the property. Oh my God. It's oh, awful. It's like you can fail in every way. Because that's just what you do. What do you mean? That's just what you do. That is what you do. Like his father did that to his sisters. So you just, that's what you do. You rape the little children. Oh my God. Like that's just, that's normal. Did you tell him that that happened? Is that how he knew? Yeah. You told him. I finally told him when I was 11 years old. A lot of things happened when I was 11. <laughs> what he did was he finished his beer. He didn't say a word to me. He broke the window on my uncle's trailer. And then that was that. Like he had a, my uncle had one of those little like RVs parked on our property. And he broke a window on this RV. And then that was it. He didn't say anything to me. He didn't take me to a doctor. He didn't chase my uncle off the property. He's still friends with my uncle. They hang out. They're close. They're bros. And I'm like, but he, he molested all of his nieces. So in your dad's mind, it's like, you damaged my property. So I'm going to come damage your property. And now we're even and we never have to speak of this again. Right. Like, that's what it feels like to me. Oh, my God. I never thought of it that way. But yes, yes, you are my you damaged my property. I'm going to damage your property. And now we're good. Now it's now we're even. It's like the bro code. And now we're good. It's so gross. I can't even. Man, it's not like he did any damage 
to me. All he did was molest me. He didn't damage me, really. Like, not <laughs> mentally or anything. It's fine. I say very sarcastically as I roll my eyes. <laughs> right. right. Worst human ever. Because I even think about someone i don't even have kids and i just think about someone touching one of my nephews or my nieces that way against their will and they're adults and i get like angry and i would do anything for those kids and i didn't give birth to to not even not one of them and i would do anything for those kids and i can't that's the part that kills me is i don't understand how you can look at a child and not give a damn right because i look at my friend's children right and i care about my friend's kids like if anything ever happened to your kids right i would be pissed as fuck because i i love your kids and i can't understand how someone can look at a child especially like a child that is half dna half theirs right and be like i don't give a shit yeah i don't know how you could ignore something like that like it just and then like it's it's such a travesty and i understand that everyone's responsible for their actions but when you go through life like that with a person like that, and then one time you snap and lose it because it's been 18 or so years of constant abuse and neglect and not being cared for, and then you go to prison. He never has any consequences mm -hmm. for what led up to that. Like Nobody asks, why would an 18-year-old or however old you were attack their parent do you think that that just happens one day over dinner like a kid just says you know what i'm gonna have a psychotic break right now and attack my dad nobody stops to ask why would that happen like why would someone do that it just it's so sad and again you're responsible for your own actions but there's there's circumstances there that play into that that were very much not your fault yeah and it's just such a travesty to me and look, I mean, thankfully you did go to prison though, because you got help there, but still. My lawyer was so surprised because he said that if this had happened in, because he was originally from Memphis and he said that if this had happened in Memphis, if this had happened in Nashville, my charges would have not been dropped, but they would have been reduced. Like it wouldn't have been nearly as serious as they made it out to be because they're like, there's so much here to explain what happened. Right. And so much here that says that you need help not to be put away for the rest of your life. And he beats his child, like, her entire life. So, like, he's teaching and, like, beats you, beats you, not, like, spanks you. But it's like I've taught her her entire life that when someone does something wrong, you physically attack them. So then when he does something wrong forever and you physically attack it, which is what he's taught you is the correct way to handle conflict. Like, it's just, it's crazy to me. So sad. So incredibly sad. But again, like you said, it's good that you did go to prison because you got help there, but it's just, it's unjust is what it is. Very. It is what it is. And I really think that like, because I'm not a religious person, but I do kind of sort of believe in this idea that there's balance in the universe. You know, I look at my life now and then I look at his life now. Like, I wouldn't trade my life for the world now. Like, I have great friends. I have a career that I love. I own my own home. I have a college degree. 
I have, like, I've got everything going for me. And then I look at his life and, like, he's still got problems interpreting left side of the world. Uh, he's handicapped now. He's got physical disabilities. And he's completely broke. He had to file for bankruptcy. He lost everything that he loved. He lost those expensive horses. He lost his trailer. And he was in a bad car accident that totaled his truck. And... I think he was drinking and driving when he had that car accident. So he got another DUI and he's, you know, been in trouble with the law and blah, 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 blah. So sometimes when you only put negativity out into the world, <laughs> only negative comes back. Now that he can't mask anymore, now that it's so much harder for him to mask because of that damage to his frontal lobe from all the strokes, you know, the chickens have come home to roost. Right. You can't hide that you're a piece of shit anymore. And people are realizing that and they don't want anything to do with you. Right. Which is why he thinks that everyone, like he's become paranoid in his old life. He thinks that everyone's out to get him. He kept telling my nephew that people thought he was a whoremonger. And I'm like, that's because you were a whoremonger. <laughs> <laughs> but now it's just you can't hide that anymore. And therefore people know that you're a womanizer now because you can't hide it. And people know that you are, you know, that you lie and you cheat and you do all these things because you can't hide it anymore because you have all this frontal lobe damage. And so those strokes are the best things that ever happened because it made him unable to pretend to be this great guy anymore. Right. So now everyone sees what I've always seen. That's got to be a little bit validating or vindicating at least a little bit. Oh, yeah, because everyone was like, oh, no, but your dad's so nice. And everyone's like, oh, but your dad's so, like, he's he's so cute. Nah, 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 nah. Right. So there can't be anything wrong with your dad. And I'm like, but there's a lot wrong with that man. Now everybody knows. So what advice as a counselor, but also as a survivor of all of that trauma, what are the few things that you would tell someone, people we talk to that have been victimized often feel a sense of this person is this way because they had all of this trauma in their life. I myself get stuck in that one a lot. I feel bad for what happened to them. And so I don't set the proper boundaries to address the behavior. So like, what advice would you give, like showing how someone can come out of trauma and not turn into an abuser? What advice would you give someone who is either in a situation with someone who has is dealing with trauma but is also abuser to either get out of that situation or heal from it i think the hardest thing to do and therefore the really good piece of advice that i would give people because it is hard to do but it's so helpful is you've got to step back and and think about if someone's gone through some shit and that shit has made them into a into a bad person then you can feel bad for the shit that they went through, but that doesn't mean that you need to go through shit. If they went through shit and it made them a bad person, why are you letting them make you into a bad person? Right. Because they're putting you through shit. Because there's a point when reactive abuse starts to happen. Exactly. So if it made them a bad person, why are you taking that chance with yourself? That's a good point. Right? Because everyone, my father went through abuse. My father was abused when he was growing up. His stepfather, who adopted him, beat them with tire irons. He raped all his daughters. 
he's a horrible person who makes my father look like a saint. And so in your dad's mind, it's like, well, I'm not that bad. Like his bar is low. Exactly. He's literally said that, right? Like I don't beat you with tire irons, right? So that's abuse. Right. He recognizes that he was abused, but he cannot recognize that he's an abuser. Okay. I can recognize that he went through some shit, but that doesn't excuse his behavior because you are not responsible for your diagnosis, but you're 100% responsible for taking care of it. Right. I have been diagnosed with everything under the sun. My current diagnosis is uh, bipolar. Whatever it is, whatever my diagnosis has been historically, it doesn't even matter what the actual title is. I'm not responsible for that. That is my genetics. That is my environment. That is all of that stuff that caused me to have all of these issues. But I am not a child. I am a 41-year-old adult. Therefore, taking care of that is my responsibility. I don't get to sit back and be like, hey, I wish I was normal. So I'm just going to act like I'm normal and not take my meds. No, the same thing applies to abusers, man. Like maybe they got here because they were abused and I can have, you can have 100% empathy for that. That does not excuse their behavior. You're an adult, take care of your shit. Right. And so if you're in a relationship with someone and they're like, well, you know, but I was abused and, or you're sitting there looking at them, well, you know, they were abused. So that's all they know. You don't deserve that abuse. They deserve to be a better person. And if you really love them, leave them so they can become a better person. Right. Because as long as there's someone there enabling their behavior, saying it's okay, beat me, they have no reason to change. Right. It's excellent advice. And I think often as, as women, we're taught to help and to care and to comfort. Like we get these messages of like, you don't give up on your marriage or you don't get like you, you stick by someone who's having, and it's like, there's, there's points of that that are correct. But then we get this overall message of we failed if we leave a marriage or we have failed if we put a boundary in place and someone decides they don't want to stick within that boundary. Cause that's the thing. Like you aren't the one that cuts somebody off necessarily. You say to be in my life, these are the rules. And if they don't want to meet those rules, they have made the choice then to leave your life. But it's like a different, it's flipping that message around, I think, because we're, we're so often taught that like we can fix somebody or we can love them out of being an abuser. But in reality, they're the only ones that can fix that. And you can fix it. Like you can get help and you can turn those behaviors around, even if you have a lot of trauma. Would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. I know someone who did that. I, one of my best friends, unfortunately, he lost his struggle with addiction and died a few years ago, but he was an abusive person. He was a very abusive person. He had been raised in abuse and that's all he knew. And he got help and stopped abusing people. And actually abusing me is what caused him to be like, wait a minute, there's something wrong with me. Cause all I had ever done was help this guy. Like he was one of my best friends. All I'd ever done was help him. And he put his hands on me once. And that was like his, that was his come to Jesus moment was Brandy has never done anything to me. And I robbed her and then I beat her up. And why did I do these things? And then he was like, oh, wait a minute, I need help. And then he, after that, he like, he checked himself into 
a rehab facility for a little while and he realized that a lot of it had to do with his addictions and he got some therapy and he lost his struggle with addiction but as far as i know and as far as he's told me before he passed away he never laid his hands on anyone ever again yeah because he was like this is this isn't who i want to be he saw his father when he saw the look on my face of terror because he was a big guy i thought he was going to kill me that night he saw the look of terror on my face and he it clicked with him like this is i'm i have become my father i don't want to be my father and if you are an abusive person you don't have to be that would be my advice to abusive people is like you don't have to do that you can get help you can figure out why it is that you are a violent person and you can stop being violent and you deserve to stop being violent not only do the people that you're with deserve to not be with someone who's violent but you deserve to not be violent you deserve to not have all of that uncontrolled rage in you you deserve to have loving relationships where you're not constantly threatened or jealous or you know controlling you deserve that peace of mind right don't do it for the person you're with do it for you and the, the flip side of that reality is while it is possible, it is unlikely that yes. someone is going to make those changes. So like, it's not your responsibility to stick with someone while they try to make that change. Nope. They need to make those changes on their own. Like, cause yes. it will also be stuck in that cycle of like the love bombing, then the abuse, then the love bombing and the, I'm going to change, I'm going to change. And you give 5 million chances and it never changes. So like you, we don't say that to say, stick it out with someone who's abusing you. We say, get the fuck away from someone who is abusing you. Oh yeah, no. But we are saying there are, people can, they are choosing these choices that they are making when there are other choices that could be made that could help them be healthier. But you don't need to stick around for that. No. Because it's the, the chances of recidivism with that are high. Exactly. If you stick around thinking you're going to save someone you're more likely to just get hurt and you don't deserve that and you deserve something happy. So like the best thing you can do for the person you're with is to leave them because that might be the catalyst they need to change. You don't know, right? but you deserve better and they deserve not to be that person. So leave. And you deserve to be safe. Exactly. Everyone deserves a loving, safe relationship. I saw a, I don't know if it was like a TikTok or what it was, but I saw like the best description of trauma therapy or like the result of trauma therapy. This woman had a wastebasket that was full of paper that had been crumpled up like into balls and it was overflowing. And she was like, what trauma therapy does, like you have all of these experiences, it's overflowing out of you. So it's your anger and your hair trigger and all of these things are because you are full of all of this unprocessed trauma and therapy doesn't make you not remember it or take it away. It takes those big pieces of crumpled paper out and folds them neatly and flat. So like all of that trauma now takes up a 10th of that wastebasket that was overflowing before. And I thought that was like the coolest way to visually understand what working through trauma means like in how that it's still always going to be there, but it's going to take up far less of you than when it's unprocessed and just overflowing into all of your relationships or when you are 
angry all the time or easily frustrated or not in emotional regulation. Um, I thought that was just really interesting. I like that. I'm going to steal that. Yeah, do it. And it's got to, you can probably find it. I don't know if it was a TikTok or what it was, but like as she was talking, she was taking each piece of crumpled up paper out and folding it into fourths and putting it back in the trash can. So like every bit of that was still in there. It was just now taking up much less space. And I thought that was really cool. Thank you so much for sharing all of that with us. And it's really great to see a counselor's perspective, like someone who has been on both sides of the mental health field of like dealing with their own stuff and then turning that into being helpful to other people. And you are amazing at that. And it is absolutely what you were meant to do a hundred percent. Check out Brandy's book. We're going to link it in our show notes. It's called last night's eyeliner and it is available on Amazon in several different formats. We will also link her podcast for any nerds out there that want to check out her dnd um podcast and um thank you again so much for telling your story you're so welcome have a wonderful rest of your day we'll talk soon thank you brandy you're welcome thank you bye bye thank you for listening we appreciate it so much if you want to support our show further you can share our podcast with your friends follow us on our socials at mgcompod or sign up for our Patreon to help keep the show going with a donation. Or you can become a patron for exclusive access to bonus content and interact with us and other loyal listeners on our feed. Meanwhile, if you liked what you heard today, please leave us a positive review. If you didn't, no worries. Move on about your day. If you want to share your story on our show, please visit our website at ngcompod.com to fill out the contact us form. Thanks again for listening. 